0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the church had nearly total control. They told people exactly what to believe. They told people exactly what to do. And then Martin Luther came along. Martin Luther spoke out against some of the things that the church was saying and the church was doing. He was told that he was wrong. He insisted that he was right. Eventually, Martin Luther was called to stand before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire at a German city called And at that meeting, he was asked to take back, to recant everything that he had said and written for the past four years. He said no. More specifically, he said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Martin Luther's famous stand is actually the scene that is depicted on the cover of your service folder today. It happened way back in April of the year 1521, 500 years ago this year. And even all these years later, I think that Martin Luther's famous stand still resonates with people, even if they've never really heard about it before. It resonates with people because we as Americans are a bit rebellious by nature, aren't we? If we sense that someone is trying to control us, if we sense that any of our liberties are being taken away, if we get even the slightest whiff of tyranny in the air, we take a stand, we speak up. That's how it all started, isn't it? It started with the price of tea and taxation without representation. And even all the way today, it continues with things like mask mandates and vaccine passports and criminal justice reform, and voting laws, and election reform. The specific issues can vary widely, but the response is often very similar. If we don't like what someone who is in control over us is doing, what do we do? We we stand up. We let our voice be heard. That's how we prevent being taken advantage of. That's how free people stay free. Well, even if that's how things generally work in a kingdom, like the one called the United States of America, it probably shouldn't surprise us that things work a little bit differently in the heavenly kingdom that Jesus founded. Today we are starting this new worship series that's entitled Alone Together, and in a lot of ways it's a worship series that is all about taking a stand. Taking a stand for certain ideas that are not just true, but so profoundly important that we are willing to take that stand, even if it costs us some friends and makes us some enemies. And today, specifically, we're talking about standing for Scripture alone. Taking a stand for the Bible, in other words. For every paragraph, every sentence, every syllable, from the very first page of Genesis to the last page of Revelation. Now, I realize that, to a lot of the people sitting in the room at least, that that might sound pretty good. And yet realize that it's the exact opposite of the sort of thing that we want to do by nature. You see, in this case, taking a stand is not a way of clinging to our independence. It's not a way of throwing off any and all control over our life. In fact, it is just the opposite. Taking a stand for Scripture means submitting to a higher power. It means giving up our independence and inviting outside control. And as we're going to see today, that can be a pretty scary and pretty dangerous thing for a person to do. As we look at these verses from Mark chapter 10 this morning, we're going to see that taking a stand for Scripture is taking a stand for, not against, authority in our lives. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees liked to give the impression that they were the ones who were all about religious authority, and they also liked to give the impression that Jesus was some sort of lawless rebel. That's why they liked coming to Jesus with these questions where he sort of had to to pick or choose between different voices, different religious authorities. In this case, they asked him a question about marriage. They asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? In Jesus' day, there was one religious authority that took sort of a more lenient view. They said, yes, a man can divorce his wife for just about any reason whatsoever. There was also religious authority that took a much stricter view that said basically only in cases of marital unfaithfulness can a man divorce his wife. The point is the Pharisees wanted Jesus to have to pick to side with one of those two authorities and thereby give the impression that he was rebelling against the other one. But in response, Jesus very skillfully turns the tables on those Pharisees. When he responds to their question by asking them, well, what did Moses command you in the scriptures? And they respond to his question by saying Moses permitted people to get a divorce as long as they did it in an orderly way Jesus had them trapped. Jesus had asked them what Moses had commanded. They responded by pointing to what Moses had permitted. In other words, Jesus wanted to focus the attention on God's perfect and ideal plan for marriage. They wanted to lower the bar by focusing on what was allowed because people's hearts were so hard. So what does it look like when someone rebels against the authority of the scriptures? It can look exactly like what the Pharisees do in these verses. Someone can claim to be all about the scriptures and yet very much rebel against them. Someone can very much claim to be all about everything that the Bible says and yet still want to be in control. And they do that. We can do that. Not by focusing on God's ideal and perfect plan for our lives, but instead lowering the bar, lowering the standards, and asking questions like, What's lawful? What's permitted? How much can I get away with? What's the least that I have to do? So, for example, rather than thinking to ourselves, God's house and among God's people is the place where God promises to be where God's voice can be heard. And because I am his child, I want to hear that voice as much as I possibly can. We instead ask questions like, well, how much do I have to go to keep Pastor Bauer from bugging me? How much do we as a family have to go in order to feel like we're still good church-going people and after all we've done our duty in getting our kids baptized and confirmed? Or, for example, instead of thinking to ourselves, Every last thing that I own in this world is not really mine. It is a gift from God. And the fact that God allows me, with what he has given me, to play a part in something as exciting and thrilling as watching people's lives transformed and their eternities changed by the gospel and supporting that work with the offerings that I give to my church as generously as I possibly can. Instead, we ask ourselves, well, what's the least I can give? And still make sure that I have enough for what I need and what I want, but at the same time not being perceived or not feeling like I'm nothing but a freeloader. Or maybe instead of thinking thoughts like, second to my Savior Jesus, my spouse is probably the greatest gift that God has given to me in this life. And therefore, every single day I am going to invest in that relationship to make it as good as it possibly can be, we instead think, well, I got married the way God wanted me to. I've never cheated. I'm not planning on getting a divorce. So who cares if my spouse and I very rarely talk and rarely get along? Rebellion against the scriptures can very often look exactly the way it did with these Pharisees. Notice, how different Jesus' approach to the scriptures is. Not only does he promote total submission to the authority of the scriptures by, again, pointing not just to the lowest possible standard, but to God's perfect and ideal plan, Jesus then goes on to demonstrate what a total commitment, what total submission to the scriptures looks like. He points to very specific and clear Bible passages, and then he points to the very clear and specific conclusions that can be drawn from those Bible passages. So for starters, Jesus points to the passage in Genesis where it says that God made mankind male and female. And he made them with these two genders for the very reason that they would come together as husband and wife in a relationship called marriage. From that passage, Jesus then draws the conclusion that marriage is not something that human beings have invented. Getting married is not primarily about some choice that I have made and therefore am free to unmake. Instead, Jesus describes a marriage as what God has joined together. Then Jesus points to to the Bible passage in Genesis that talks about when a husband and wife are joined together in marriage, that those two people become one flesh. Jesus then draws the conclusion and correctly draws the conclusion that if they have become one flesh, then those two people are no longer two independent beings. They have become one. And therefore, that marriage is never was never intended to be something that could be undone. Even though later on, Moses... Permitted and, and sort of regulated the divorce that was happening among God's people just because sin was so rampant, Jesus correctly concludes that divorce was never part of God's plan for marriage. See, this is a, another way that people can claim to be all about the authority of the Bible and yet very much rebelling against what it says and very much trying to remain in control themselves. They say things like, well, if the Bible never directly and specifically addresses a particular issue, then it's completely silent about that issue altogether. Or when other people draw conclusions based on clear Bible passages and and people want to disagree with those conclusions, they kind of just dismiss them as, well, that's that person's or that pastor's or that church's interpretation. No, the Bible does not address each and every form of sin that exists in our world. For example, there is no Bible passage that says, you shall not go out and purchase a Smith & Wesson 9mm handgun, load it up with ammunition, walk into Miller's grocery store in Mount Horb, Wisconsin, and shoot someone with it. But the Bible does say, you shall not murder and so we can connect the dots. In the same way, the Bible does not specifically mention each and every single abuse, each and every single misguided idea that human beings have ever come up with about gender and sexuality and marriage. But to pretend as though the Bible is unclear about those things is really nothing more than saying, I want to stay in control. Jesus demonstrates an attitude toward the Scriptures that is just the opposite. Taking a stand for the Scriptures means that we don't get to assert our own autonomy. We don't get to stay in control. Taking a stand for the Scriptures is taking a stand for, not against, authority. And as I mentioned, that can be kind of a scary thing. That can be kind of a dangerous thing for a person to do, especially with the specific subject matter that Jesus was asked about. As I was studying these verses this week, I also happened to be listening to a podcast that is entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is a church in the Seattle area, was a church in the Seattle area, that was started by a pastor named Mark Driscoll, back in the late 1990s. And under the leadership of Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill, first of all, enjoyed an unbelievable rise to prominence and popularity, but then an even faster and more tragic fall. Hundreds of people suffered abuse, oppression, exploitation as part of their experience at Mars Hill, in part because of the way that Mark Driscoll viewed his authority as a pastor, and also specifically because some of the things that he said about men and women and marriage. See, there are a lot of areas in our life where we are under the control of other people. And in a lot of those areas, it's really no big deal. Even if someone abuses that authority, they abuse that control, it really doesn't put us at risk. But out of all the areas of our life where we might be abused, where harm might be done, right at the top of the list, church and home. So imagine if those two areas come together, as they did at Mars Hill and as they do in these verses. In other words, when the spiritual authority that exists in our lives addresses life in our homes and life in our families. It's no wonder that perhaps in no other area of our life are we the most reluctant to give up our control. I mean, sure, I'll I'll follow the new company policy so that I get a paycheck at the end of two weeks, and I'll follow the school's dress code because I don't want to be sent home to find a new outfit for the day. No big deal, right? But to entrust authority over my soul And over the most personal and intimate relationships I have with other people, that's that's a bit more of a risky proposition. It's no wonder that maybe we conclude, boy, I think that's an area where I want to stay in charge. Thankfully, these verses help us see the tragic results when we do. Sure, it is entirely possible that in churches and at the hands of pastors, there can be spiritual abuse of God-given authority. But when we keep that control and we keep that authority for ourselves, rest assured, it goes no better. After he's away from the crowds and away from the Pharisees, Jesus has an opportunity to follow up on this conversation with just his disciples. And he points out the implications of what will happen if people have that autonomy and control over their lives in the, the areas of marriage and family see, there's a reason people wanted to know if a husband could divorce his wife for any and every reason whatsoever. In those days, if that happened, it left a wife, it left a woman in particular, probably with a burden of guilt and shame and disgrace in the community, not to mention very little chance of any form of of protection and being provided for after her husband had left. And so by submitting the authority of Scripture, wives were actually being protected against the abuse of just being abandoned by their husbands. While we're at it, we should probably talk about the more specific plan, the more specific instructions that God gives, as we heard in today's second reading from Ephesians chapter 5. You heard how God invites Christian wives to submit to their husbands, to yield to them a role of leadership in the home and within the family. Boy, that sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? That sounds like something that would all but guarantee tyranny being exercised over wives in marriage. But did you notice how the very same God who invites wives to submit to their husbands also invites, commands really husbands to love their wives? In fact, to lay down their lives for their wives. In other words, to use the authority that their wife willingly yields to them, only and always in the best interest of their wife. God invites husbands to live, to give their whole selves for their wives, to live and breathe and exist for their well-being. And so the best way for a wife to be protected from potential abuse at the hands of her husband. And for that matter, the best way for a husband to be protected from potential abuse at the hands of his wife is not for each one of them to reject the authority of Scripture and hold on to their own autonomy. Instead, it's for each one of them to submit to the authority of Scripture and to find a spouse who does the very same thing. Now, if we think that that being involved in a marriage makes a person a little bit vulnerable and opens them up to tyranny or abuse, there's someone else in the house, someone else in the family where that is even more the case, specifically children. Just think of the number of children in our world who have gone through untold amounts of pain and difficulty in their lives because at some point, a husband just decided he didn't want to be married to his wife or a wife, her husband. Or think of the number of children in our world who did not live to draw even their very first breath, all in the name of control and autonomy. Because both men and women want to remain in control of their bodies and their choices. Instead, notice what Jesus does. The Pharisees are trying to keep, I'm sorry, the disciples even, are trying to keep these lowest and most vulnerable members of society, away from Jesus, and Jesus rebukes them. He scolds them. He takes those little children in his arms. He embraces them, and he upholds them as the epitome of faith. Anytime that we as human beings try to hold on to control and autonomy for ourselves, it will inevitably lead to tyranny against others, especially those most vulnerable. And so thankfully, submission to the authority of Scripture is submission to, not against authority, because it is that very authority of Scripture that is designed to protect those who are most vulnerable. And that really shouldn't surprise us one bit about the Scriptures when we consider the fact that the central character of the entire Scriptures is Jesus himself. Jesus, whose entire reason for coming to this earth was to use his authority not to be a tyrant, but instead to save and rescue those who are most vulnerable. Friends, you and I were not born into this world as free people who just need to cling and to hang on to our freedom at all costs. We were born under tyranny, under the tyranny of sin, under the tyranny of Satan and under the tyranny of death. And as a result, we were not just vulnerable to things like shame and guilt and despair. We were destined for an entire, turn, an, an entire eternity full of those things apart from God. But Jesus came, as Paul says, to give his life for us, to give his life for you, to make you holy, to make you his bride, to make you the apple of his eye, to make his people the people that he lives and breathes and exists for. We gladly submit to the authority of the scriptures because the scriptures are all about Jesus. And when Jesus asks us to trust and obey and listen to his every word, that is authority that he has more than earned. Which is why I hope that that story about Martin Luther's famous stand does, in fact, resonate with you. Not because Martin Luther was some lawless rebel. When he took his stand, he was not rebelling against the authority of the church. He was not saying, no one gets to be in charge of me except me. No, he was taking a stand for the scriptures. He was standing for scripture alone. And yes, that's a stand that, as we make it today, just like it did with Martin Luther, it might cost us some friends, it might win us some enemies. And yet it also forms an unbreakable bond before, with whom, between all who hold that same confession. Because at the end of the day, there's really only one reason why a person should Submit to the authority of the scriptures. And it's because those scriptures are all about Jesus. Which means that under his authority is the safest and the best place a person can possibly be. Amen.